Good morning again to everyone. Sun is coming out, so that's, that's nice. It's a beautiful Mother's Day. Again, happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. Um, you know, even though it's cold, I have gotten word it is snowing in Ohio, so it could always be worse, I guess, right? It's crazy right now, <laughs> yeah. But uh, just, yeah, just a quick shout out and thank you to all the moms for all that you do. It's a very important role in our communities, in our church, in your homes. It's very much appreciated. Um, I don't know, every, every Sunday that I come in here, it's always a little bit different. And this, this Sunday is, is no different, it's, it's usual. But it's been a, a good week for me. I've had a lot of good time in study and in the Word, and I come here, and I'm worshiping with you all, and, you know, it's got extra meaning today with, with Mother's Day and things like that, and it was a great time of worship. For me personally, just because you guys get to go along on this journey with me as I go through this, but listening to my father's world again, it's a hard song for me to listen to, but it was good. And really focusing in on that line of how can I be sad because Christ is king, because he is reigning. And it's such a beautiful song with deep, mem- with deep meaning and memories. But being able to share this and share life with all of you as we, as we share this Christian walk is truly a blessing. And this week, as I was in prayer, um, you know, a lot of times as you're preparing a message, there's a lot of times where you're going to go a lot deeper in things. And sometimes the Lord shows you things that are just for you, and sometimes it's more in general for everyone. And, and today's message is no different from that. You know, today we're going to dive deeper into a, a passage that has some difficulties in it. And we're going to face them head on today because I think that it's important for us to have greater understanding in certain areas when we understand the holiness of God, when we understand how we need to be approaching him with our lives as believers. So hopefully we'll pick up on that as we read our passage this morning. We're going to get right into it. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 22 uh, as we continue our series here through Luke. Beginning in verse 1. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who, who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? And he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished, prepare it there. And they went and found it, just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. 
And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, after the cup, they had, and likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them could it be who was going to do this? Father, as we study your passage today, as we hear your words of hope today, I pray that you would quiet our hearts and minds to hear your truths. I pray that your spirit would convict us in different areas of our life so that we may become more sanctified and grow in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we have this passage here in Luke, kind of starting off the the passages of the Passion that recount Jesus' last days here. It starts off with some good context, some description of the different feasts that are going to be celebrated. Now they are actually two different things. Passover is the day that's commemorating the final plague on the Egyptians, the death of the firstborn. Um, where the angel of death passed over those places that were marked or covered by the blood of the Lamb. You can go back to Exodus chapter 12, around there, 11 through 13, to get some of the context discussing the Passover and what that was about. Very important feast day for for the Jews. This was something that was prepared on the 14th day of the month of Nisan, the first month of the year. Um, And then after sundown, they would eat the meal together. So technically, it would have been the 15th that they were actually eating the meal. Um, The Feast of Unleavened Bread was then a week-long feast that removed leaven from all things. And that started on the 15th. All the bread that was eaten was to be unleavened. Uh, And again, you can find explanations of the various feasts and regulations that follow that in the book of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy there, if you would like to write that down for some time this week. But you know, this information is helpful for us. Uh, It helps us to know what Jesus and the disciples are celebrating. Helps us get in tune to the Jewish calendar a little bit. You know, the Jews followed a lunar calendar. So this is why Easter is on a different Sunday every year, because we're following when they would mark their season of Passover. But this is a holy time. This is a time where they're going to be remembering what God has done for them in their history. This feast of the Passover unleavened bread would be right up there in importance with days like the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. So it was um, a very reverent time. You would want to be in the right mindset. You would want to have the right heart and attitude as you're approaching this feast. But what do we see in our passage from our Jewish leaders? We see that their minds and hearts are focused instead on killing Jesus. 
they're not prepared to celebrate this feast. And again, as I have done often through this walkthrough of Luke, I ask the question of myself, how often is my life lining up with the attitude or heart of the Pharisees versus the attitude or heart of Jesus? How well do I come ready to worship God each and every Sunday? Because, I mean, there's a lot going on in life. There's a lot going on here logistically each morning. And maybe I'm anxious about my message. Maybe I'm trying to talk to these people. Maybe I have to go around and do these things. So we can become distracted by the things that are going on around us. But again, where's our heart attitude as we come to worship our Lord? These leaders, they're bold enough to desire this, this thought of getting rid of Jesus, but yet they're still fearful of the people. So things would have to be done in secret. But we see how this obsession is taking over their minds. Their hearts are not going to be in to celebrate this feast properly. Their desire is to find a way to get rid of Jesus. And then Judas comes forward with a plan to fit that desire. Now there's a lot within this section. There's a lot within the understanding of Judas. There's a lot of different thoughts a lot of hard things that we have to struggle with to explain. You know, if you wrestle with these thoughts, you find it hard to understand what happened to him. Why did he do what he do? You know, how could he go through with all of this because he is part of the 12? And right off the bat, when we look at our passage here in verse 3, it says, And then Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot, should at least cause us to pause, to wrestle with that phrase, to think about what's going on through here. So today I want to kind of walk through the background of Judas a little bit, uh, touching on some of our own thoughts, perhaps. And as we do this, we want to keep some things in mind. First things first. We have to understand that as we approach these texts, that Jesus' death on the cross is God's plan for redemption. Things would have to happen along the way in order to get Jesus onto that cross. Jesus is not surprised by this. He predicts his death three different times. He predicts that he would be betrayed. It doesn't come as a surprise to Jesus at all. Peter understands this further on uh, in the future. In Acts chapter 2, verse 23, says, This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. In this passage, I want us to notice both the divine planning and the human responsibility. It's mixed it's mysterious. It's difficult to understand. Sometimes we like things that are cut and dry. But it's intertwined throughout all of Scripture. And it's a beautiful mystery. But we see both. Because the next thing that we want to understand is the fact that Satan entering Judas is not an excuse for Judas. And I've wrestled through that thought in the past. You know, how, how does Judas have a choice if Satan enters him? Isn't that then Satan doing all of these actions? 
Now, we shouldn't confuse Satan entering a person with something like demon possession. We have a few scriptures to share with us to help us understand how we need to view how Satan works in our lives. In Acts chapter 5 with Ananias, Ananias and Sapphira, I think we're familiar with that. But Peter says this to Ananias. He says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? After it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. We want to notice, Peter says Satan had filled his heart, but he was still responsible for the actions. John 13, verse 2, says, When the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, worded a little bit differently than what we see in Luke's version. But we need to grow into our understanding of what Satan does in terms of how he is active in temptation with sin, spiritual darkness, throwing obstacles in our path to try to get us to go away from God's plan. He lies to us, whispers to our heart's desires to get us to be steered clear from God's plan. You know, we have the choice then to resist or flee as scriptures tell us, or we give into it and we succumb to that temptation and we sin. You think of the temptations that happened to Jesus in Luke chapter 4. Jesus shows us the example of how to resist Satan. He uses scripture to combat that. But then at the end of that segment, it says this in verse 13. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Here with Judas, this would be an opportune time. Judas had been growing dissatisfied with Jesus and this coming kingdom that is being promised. He was concerned about money. He was dishonest in his dealings. John records this in John chapter 12. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and then given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charged the money bag, he used to help himself to what he put into it. Perhaps John's writing a little strongly because of what happened with Judas. But Judas has a spiritual blindness, and he falls to this temptation, to this sin that Satan is proposing. Sin has consequences, and we need to be aware of that. Now, the other hard thing with Judas, in the Gospel of Matthew, he does show regret. He tries to give the money back, but then he goes out and he hangs himself. You know, perhaps it wasn't his intention that Jesus be killed or condemned in the way that the leaders were doing. But it shows us a very important lesson. We are judged by our actions, not our intentions. I think as parents, we can understand that too. Sin has consequences. Sometimes they are very severe in the here and now. Satan simply tempted Judas fell to that temptation. Judas knew what he was doing. He was an active participant in the betrayal of Jesus. I think that this is difficult for many of us to process because many times we want to be judged by our intentions. 
We don't mean things for, to go horribly wrong, but sometimes they just do. And we also see ourselves in Judas. We identify with him. We love that excuse, well, the devil made me do it. So we try to maybe put him in the best possible light. We explain things away a little bit. Well, maybe he was loyal to Jesus, but he was trying to push Jesus' hand a little bit. He wanted the kingdom to come sooner. He wanted to be right beside Jesus for that. Maybe he understood the world and the kingdom better than Jesus did. You know, these types of rationales take us right back to the garden with Adam and Eve, who thought that they knew better than God. They wanted to be as wise as God. So even as we read verse 3, we cannot say that it is Satan's fault that this happened. It was Judas's. He carried out that action. And again, we have sympathy with Judas because we understand that Satan is also working on us all of the time. And if you have a, an important position in the kingdom, such as you know being one of the 12, it's almost like Satan is working overtime on the church leaders. And the thought can be, if Judas, who was a part of the inner 12, Judas, who walked with Jesus, who heard Jesus' words, who was an eyewitness, if he can fall, why can't that be me? And honestly, it could and it is. Look down in verse 23 quick. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be and who was going to do this. Now in Matthew's gospel, he adds, and all of the disciples go around saying, is it me, Lord? Is it I? They all had this intention that it could have been me that betrays Jesus. They recognize that they could act on that temptation. And in their own rights, they all desert him. They all flee in this coming week. I mean, look at us. We have a strong conviction. We understand that it's our sin that put Jesus on the cross, right? We say this type of thing, but do we truly understand it? That it's my sin, personal, past, present, and future? When you're in the moment here with Judas, this is a future sin that he is going to act upon and go through with. And I want us to hold that in our mind and just put a pin in that future sin right there for a moment. Because we have all sinned. And sin has its consequences. And we must pay for those offenses. And we can all say that we are just like Judas. But that's a hard pill to swallow. Because where do we believe Judas is? I mean, we never think that we're that bad. We never think that that's going to be our destination. But we've all done something to betray the king. And we will do more things to betray the king. So where does that leave us? Thankfully, our passage transitions beautifully into the story of redemption today. Because we are all fallen, and we all fall short because of sin. And the wage of sin is death. 
So God has put into plan this, this plan of redemption even way back from the garden. He enacted this plan to redeem his people to himself. And Jesus here is going to be teaching about this new covenant as they celebrate the Passover meal. Let's talk about this meal a little bit. Because this is a covenant that is going to bring hope for not just the disciples, but for future believers and for the world. Within this Passover meal, typically it would be celebrated with your family, maybe some close relatives or neighbors, depending on the size. You know, we have those uh, examples in Exodus, how if you have a a small family and you can't finish the lamb together, you would join other families as well. And these men had shared life together for the previous three years, so it wouldn't be out of place for them to share this meal together. Now, the Passover meal, you would have a lot of different dishes. You would have four cups that are presented during the the meal. Everything had deep symbolism. All of the dishes pointing back to something in their history, understanding what God has done for them and who God is. And again, it was a time to focus your hearts and minds, getting in the right attitude of what you're celebrating, what God has done for you in terms of saving you, pulling you out of slavery. So for them... Um, they would be celebrating this together in the upper room. And Jesus had, had made some arrangements, and Peter and John were to go and prepare the feast. They were to find a man that was going to be carrying a water jar. Now, this would be out of place, because normally it would be the women that carried the water jars, and the men's had the water skins. So this person would stand out, and they would know who they needed to go to. They would go, and they would prepare the room. And then when the hour came for them to have this meal, they all gathered together. And and they recline at the table, and they have this meal together, and Jesus shows how earnestly he desires to have this meal with them. Now, again, within this meal, you're going to have the four cups. You're going to have the various dishes. Um, And there's a little bit more details in Luke's account than some of the other Gospels. Um, You have how he says here early on in the text that he will not eat or drink of this meal again until the time of the kingdom. Um, In Matthew, I know it says that after, afterwards. But, you know, even as he says this early on in the text, he says he's not going to eat this. We assume that this either means after this meal or at least after the third cup because he continues to break bread and then pour the cup for the new covenant after he says this. So there's maybe a little semantics in there, but that third cup is what's traditionally believed to be where Jesus is making the new covenant because that is the cup of redemption within the Passover meal. So it would signify um, this new covenant. And what Jesus is doing is he is taking these elements of the Passover meal, and he's putting new significance, new meaning onto them. And it's important for his disciples to understand that the bread would now represent his body, which would be sacrificed for them. And as the disciples were partaking in this, as they were eating in this, it was like they were in union with Jesus, oneness. Um, Paul adds to this understanding in 1 Corinthians In chapter 10, he says, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread. We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. You know, so we we are united through the body and blood of Christ as Christians. 
across denominations, across ethnicities, nations, everything like that. We are united as one body through the participation in what Jesus has done. He is the linchpin, so to speak. And then he goes on in chapter 11, verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You know, and as you go back to Luke here, I also want to point out the wording here that he says in verse 19, do this in remembrance of me. I think that's a very important aspect in our faith that we have to understand. It's an imperative for them to remember him. He's encouraging the disciples to focus on the person of Jesus, not necessarily the benefits that you get from his death. So many times, and I'm guilty of this as well, our faith is presented in such a way that it focuses on the benefits. You get to go to heaven. Your sins are forgiven. You get the Holy Spirit. You get the gifts of the Spirit. You get to exhibit the fruits of the Spirit. It's almost like church has become a rerun of Oprah. You know, it's all about what you can get rather than understanding the person behind it. And he, he uses an imperative here. You know, if we're only focusing on the benefits, our faith quickly becomes consumerism. And it's shallow. But if you are able to focus on the person of Jesus and who he is as your Lord, as your Savior, as the coming King, your relationship with him grows deeper. Your understanding of what he has done grows deeper as you closely walk with him. Now, when you think about that, we closely walk with one that gave up his body and blood for our sakes to pay the debt that we couldn't pay. If we understand justice, logically, rationally, and we understand the consequences that sin has, we know either way we owe God our lives. Either because we've sinned, we failed you. We owe you your breath back. Punishment of sin is death. I deserve death. But God in his grace, even while we were still enemies, sent his son to die for us. What kind of love is that? Do we ponder that often in our lives? Understanding that he shows us grace, that he gives life to all who believe. And Jesus is instituting a new covenant here. Fulfilling Jeremiah 31, which Bob read last week. We'll go over a little bit here today. Jeremiah 31, 31 begins this way. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when we will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. Sorry. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. For the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin, no more. According to the Anchor Yale Bible Dictionary, a covenant is an agreement enacted between two parties 
in which one or both make promises under oath to perform or refrain from certain actions stipulated in advance. Jesus is the one that is making the payment of this covenant. He is sealing us by his blood. And Jeremiah says that I will be their God and they will be my people. Jesus does it all in this covenant. He does it on behalf of us so that we can have peace with God. Again, what kind of love is this? Do we understand the unconditional love of God? Do we ever think, how much does God love us? What stood out to me in this passage this week is just how much God loves us. Let's go back to our passage in verse 21 and 22. Right after Jesus says, this, is, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood, he says this, but behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with the one that is on the table. For the son of the man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. So we see here the decree of God for Jesus, right? We see where he is going to be going, but we also see a woe in there. Now, you think of a woe. It is an intense warning. It is something prophetic from God. It, it brings out this outburst against somebody or a group of people to warn them. It conveys a note of threat. As I look at this section, I see this as an opportunity for Judas to still repent. And the disciples discuss who could it be. And they go around the table, understanding that it could be them, practicing an act of humility by examining themselves. And we go back to 1 Corinthians 11, and Paul says, before you have the communion, examine your hearts to make sure that you are in the faith. And what just happened here? They just had a meal where Judas knows full well that he is going to betray Jesus. It's a despicable act. But Jesus is still giving a woe. He is still giving a warning. Judas is showing that he is an enemy of God, acting in this way. But Jesus is still going to the cross for someone just like him, an enemy of God, calling him back prophetically to repent. I think that this is something that we can marvel at because what are we as a church if not forgiven traitors, betrayers of the king, despising his commands, his decrees. We have all sinned, and we will do so more in the future. God not only suffered and died for our sins, but he also pr promises to remember them no more, to cast them as far as the east is from the west. What kind of love is that? When I think of this woe for our life today, What type of thoughts do you have today in terms of betraying the king? Sin has consequences. It breaks that fellowship with Jesus. It takes you further away from that relationship with God. Woe to you that would practice sin today. Woe to you that would practice sin tomorrow, doing what you want to do rather than what God has decreed and commanded for us to do. We have all betrayed the king. 
And we understand repentance and forgiveness restores. But sometimes we depend on that too much. And we act flippantly before God. Continuing to do what we want now because our God's a forgiving God. Our God's merciful. That is not the attitude that we should have. As we come to worship him, as we start our days with his mercies new every morning, we should be on our knees before God, crying out to him, understanding what we have been saved from, that eternal separation from him. And the fact that we get to have a relationship now, that we have peace, that should fill our hearts with joy. We shouldn't squander this. We shouldn't be comfortable with our faith. It should move us in the spirit to continue forward. Every sin, every sin has consequences. Every sin is severe in that it has put Jesus on the cross. But there is hope for the sinner. There is a way out and it is provided by Christ through his blood. He has made the new covenant and he has redeemed us by his blood. And we are now standing justified on his promises the Bible declares this in so many places. We could spend the rest of the day reading about the promises of God when it comes to our justification. But church, this morning, we need to humble ourselves from our pride and arrogance, from our assumptions that we demand upon God as we flippantly walk through this life, irreverently, not understanding His holiness, not understanding how ugly our sin is. The new covenant of God is a beautiful chapter that he has written. And it is written on his terms, not ours. You know, there's a saying in, in law enforcement that we're all one mistake away from prison. I want us to hold that into our hearts and minds today. Even though that we know forgiveness, even though we know grace, do not have too light of a view of how detestable your sin is. We've been given grace through the blood of Christ and we need, to be, we need to spend the rest of our life walking in that grace as we interact with others because there are others that have not heard that gospel message. I mean, what would it be like if no one shared that with us? Where, where, where would we be? How low would we have fallen? How beautiful are the feet of those that bring the gospel message? We want to stand firmly on his promises, declaring his praises to everlasting to everlasting, knowing that we can be a part of that wonderful redemption story in somebody else's life as we share what God has done for us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your patience with us as people. I thank you for your spirit as you continue to grow us each and every day, sanctifying us into the image of your son. Lord, make my heart ever ready to worship and praise your name in all things. Lord, I pray that we would examine ourselves daily, not just once a month before we have communion, but with humility asking, is it me, Lord? With humility allowing the Spirit to convict us of our sinful habits and patterns. Lord, that you would give us strength to resist Satan as he is whispering, as he is trying to enter into our lives. 
Lord, resisting him with your word. Putting on the armor of God. Lord, because the enemy is relentless. He wants us to be away from you because he knows what will happen if the church is truly united to you. So I pray for that today, Lord, that your spirit would come down upon all of us and that we would just be filled with strength, with joy, with the fruits of the spirit, Lord, to transform this community for you. Lord, may our thoughts, actions, may the words coming out of our mouths reflect your glory, your love. Lord, forgive us for those that we have condemned in our lives. Lord, that is your role, not ours. Help us to continually spread the gospel message. And as iron sharpens iron, equip one another, building each other up in the spirit to proclaim your glory. Using our gifts to serve one another, Lord. Lord, we praise you for your redemption story. We praise you for the blood of Christ. May we worship you and be filled with joy today. In Jesus' name, amen.